0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Faith Covenant Church. Faith Covenant is a non-denominational Bible church based in Borger, Texas. We exist to take in all people, teach the truth, train followers, and transform lives. We hope that this sermon encourages you and brings you closer to our Savior, Jesus Christ. For more information about Faith Covenant Church, visit our website at www.faithborger.com. Take your Bible or your phone or your tablet. Let's go to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 13. All right, here we go. And uh, thank you so much for sharing your Sunday with us today. It is great to have you here. It truly is. You know, 1 Samuel has been so good. We've been studying this book this summer, and we're looking at the life right now of one of the most interesting characters in the Bible. And this is a man who's probably the most complex character in the Bible, King Saul. And King Saul has a really interesting, colorful history. The first chapter of his life, like so many of us, starts off great. He is doing fantastic. And there are a lot of you here today, they're doing great. Life's going so well. But then sometimes things come into our lives and things begin to change. And the second chapter of his life... He starts to go into kind of a downward spiral, and honestly, it's kind of painful to read about because you're reading about the first chapter of his life. You're like, man, I really like this guy a lot. I can really identify with this man. But then later on, he begins to make a few key mistakes, and his life really takes a turn for the worst. And so his life teaches us so much about the kind of a heart that God is looking for in a man or a woman. And so that's kind of the topic today: is uh, after God's own heart. And i know i see some of you fanning i'm sorry we had the air conditioning guys up here this week i apologize i thought everything was fixed and ready to go this morning but apparently not so we'll get through this as fast as we can all right so think about what you mean when you talk about your heart all right we use that term so freely don't we i love you with all my heart you know hallmarks made a fortune okay off of this kind of stuff or we might say something like you know they played with all their heart uh he fought with all his heart We might, you know, tell a a young person, you know, put your heart into it. Whatever it is you're going to go do with your life, put your heart into it. And if you ever notice when we talk about our heart, it's almost always associated with, with passion and with drive and with motivation. And it's our heart that moves us to live our lives with adventure and with creativity and hope and even love. Isn't that so true? My daughter, my oldest daughter, Hannah, got me a great book. I mentioned this last week. It's American Ulysses, it's about Ulysses Grant. I just love to read presidential biographies. Well, Ulysses Grant's wife, her name was Julia. You might notice from this picture, she never took a picture of the front of her face. They were always a profile. Sometimes Google image, Julia Grant, all her pictures are always in profile. And it's because when she was a small child, uh, one, of their, one of her older siblings dropped her, and her head hit the, hit the ground, and one of her eyes crossed over. And so for the rest of her life, she had a condition. Uh, I, can't, I can't really pronounce it. <laughs> strabismus I think. And it, but basically, uh, one of her eyes was crossed over, so she appeared cross-eyed. Well, imagine this—you know—they're growing up. You know, they're, they're, they had a young love affair. They get married while Ulysses Grant is in the army. Ulysses Grant goes off to the Civil War, and he has one victory after another. And man, he is just rocketing up the ranks and becoming a national hero. And so, in St. Louis, Missouri, people started talking about him as a potential president. And they had never dreamed something like this could ever happen to them. They're just simple country folks this is a great book by the way and so she started you know he started to make all these public appearances as the most important general in America and so it says while they were in St. Louis Julia self-conscious now that her husband had become so famous decided she needed to do something about her appearance long concerned about her strab- strabismus I'm sorry I can't say it often referred to as cross-eyed She would not face the camera when someone wanted to take her photograph. So she turned to Dr. Charles Pope, Dean of the St. Louis Medical College. And Pope told her it was too late to perform an operation on her eyes. And devastated, she confessed to her husband what she had done and her disappointment. Ulysses, startled, replied, What in the world put such a thought in your head, Julia? And she, through tears, said, Why, you're getting to be such a great man. And I am such a plain little wife. I thought if my eyes were as others, I might not be so very, very plain. Ulysses drew her to him and said, Did I not see you and fall in love with you with these same eyes? I like them just as they are. And now remember, you are not ever to interfere with them. (laughs) And all the women in the audience are supposed to go, aww. Where are the men like that? All the single women are like, where are the men like that? We need a man like that. Yeah. You know, perhaps the greatest danger you and I face in life is losing heart. We don't live like that anymore. We don't talk like that anymore. We don't think like that anymore. And one day people might look back at your life and say, you know what? His heart just wasn't in it anymore. Or she lost her heart. Or his heart failed him. And the Proverbs, Proverbs 4.23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from, from it flow the springs of life. In other words, everything about your life begins from your heart. <clears throat> you see this more and more often. We have such vast wealth in America, such great opportunity in America, and yet so many people are losing heart. You see it in statistics on suicide, depression, addiction, divorce, etc., etc., and I wonder if you might be here today, and if you and I are getting really honest, you might say, Les, I'm losing heart. I am losing heart. Just getting through the day. I'm just doing the bare minimum. I'm just getting by, and I feel like when you said heart failing, that's me. My heart is failing. I want you to know today that your heart can be strong and vibrant, and energetic and full of life, he can carry you through the hardships of life, the trials of life. Psalm 73, 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart. Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful scripture right there? Here's something I don't know that we as Christians think enough about is that God has a tremendous heart we say this sometimes about people. He's got a big heart. Well, just imagine the heart of God. It's enormous. The heart of God has such an enormous capacity for passion, creativity, mercy, and love. It's infinite in all those capacities. And that's nowhere more apparent than it is on the cross. Isn't that true, ladies and gentlemen? The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 2, he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross, willingly offering himself on it as an altar of sacrifice so that we might die to sin and we might become immune from the penalty and the power of sin and live for righteousness for by his wounds. You who believe have been healed. And so God's deep desire for you and for me is that we would live our life from his heart put into ours his heart in our heart first samuel chapter 13 look at verse three it says jonathan jonathan is the son of king saul and so several years have passed saul has been king for a while he's putting together an army and now his son is one of the generals in his army and I'm going to give you a little bit of background here the story is taking place about 1000 bc now saul has been made king of israel he had everything going for him. If you've been here the last few weeks, we've talked about this. He was head and shoulders above everyone else in the land of Israel, all right? He was handsome. He was from a wealthy family. If they would have had Bachelor BC, he would have been on the show. And his first challenge as a new king, his nation was attacked by another nation called the Ammonites. And he went to war with them. He excelled. He did great. And now there's hope and there's optimism in Israel. We have a king and he's a great king. We're going to make Israel great again. It's going to be awesome. And our story today, he has been king, like I said, for several years. And Jonathan picks a fight. His son, one of his generals, picks a fight with another nation that's their neighbor, the Philistines. The Philistines are technologically advanced, very powerful militarily. And so the philistines gather for battle against the nation of israel before they go to battle saul knows who to ask for help he calls samuel the prophet and he asks the prophet samuel to come to his military outpost it's kind of like having gandalf there from lord of the rings you know but but better okay And he asked him to do two things. He says, number one, I want you to offer a sacrifice for us. I want you to take all the troops that are here, all the men who are gathered, lead us in worship to God, make a sacrifice for us. And number two, I want you here as a prophet, I want you to offer me advice because, you know, because you hear from God, you hear God's voice. I want you to tell me what God says we are supposed to do. And so he sent a messenger to him. And Samuel said, I will be there within seven days and I'll do what you've asked me to do. Now, you might ask yourself the question, why seven days? Why, why did you say, I'll be there tomorrow? This was a test, a test of Saul's heart. Well, you can see here, if you, if you look in chapter 13, look at verse 5, the Philistines assembled for battle. And the Bible says, this was a huge army amassed on the border with Israel. 3,000 chariots And there are two men in every chariot. And the foot soldiers are too numerous to count. And when the men of Israel see this army, what happens to them? They lose heart in a big way. And they don't just leave the battlefield. Look there in uh, verse 6. They don't just leave the battlefield. They run and hide. They're hiding in caves. They're hiding in pits. They're hiding in thorn bushes. Anywhere they can go, every man panics. And so you can imagine this. Night after night, when the sun goes down, thousands of men are sneaking out at night, leaving Saul's army. And so every night that he waits, thousands and thousands more men leave him. Day seven arrives. Still no Samuel. Thousands of men have abandoned him. And Saul, the king, panics. He wants God's blessing. He can't wait any longer. And so Look at verse 8. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings, which is a lamb. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. And just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived. And Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? asked Samuel. You know, that would be awkward, wouldn't it? All right. Now, think about this for a minute. You know, Saul, you might look at that, you might think, well, what's wrong with what he did? He said, I'll just do the offering myself. Well, in this era of history, only a priest can offer the sacrifice to God. And the priests, they led a certain lifestyle. They came from a certain family that made them worthy of offering these sacrifices. Saul, as a king, is in no way qualified to do this important thing. And this is a major abuse of power. And just about the time there is evening of the seventh day, he is making this sacrifice, acting as an imposter who shows up. But Samuel, the prophet and the priest. All right. Talk about awkward. You're like, What are you doing, Saul? Takes the sheep. Me, throws in the bushes. <laughs> nothing. There's nothing going on here. <laughs> all right. And look at verse 11 and 12. What have you done? Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you did not come at the set time. Notice what he's saying there. It's still the seventh day. And that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash. I thought now the Philistines will come against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You acted foolishly, Samuel. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. And the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. Samuel told Saul that God has sought out another king, a man after his own heart. And many of you know that that man that he sought after is going to be David, the one who's going to have a showdown with Goliath a little bit later in this book. And we see that phrase again, a man after his own heart, in the New Testament. Paul, the Apostle Paul, speaking to a crowd in Antioch, he said, After removing Saul, God made David their king, and God testified concerning him, or David, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. You know, that phrase, a man after my own heart, for generations, for really thousands of years. It's moved the hearts of of poets and songwriters and and preachers, a man after God's own heart. We see that phrase all the time. Have you ever stopped and asked yourself, what does it mean to be a man or a woman after God's own heart? Think for a moment. You might have noticed this when Will was being baptized a little while ago, just how much he looks like his dad and you might look at him, you might say, he takes after his father, all right? Or you might say about a young lady, she takes after her mother. And this verse in another place says, David is a son of Jesse. He's the kind of man that I want, a man whose heart is like mine. That's the expanded Bible. The message says, he's a man whose heart beats to my heart. Now, some of you are a little bit Bible savvy. You might be like me. You might be thinking, thinking, why does David get the title a man after God's own heart. I mean, Saul, you know, he sacrificed an animal on the altar. That's true. He wasn't supposed to do that. But how is David any better? I mean, David was guilty of crimes like adultery and murder, uh, injustice, polygamy, and so many other inconsistencies. And I think that's really critical to understand that David was not called a man after God's own heart because of his sinless behavior. No one has ever been a man or a woman after God's own heart because of their sinlessness behavior. David only had God's favor for the same reason that any of us do, because of God's grace. But as we read our Bible over and over again, David's heart is held up as an example for you and I to follow. Why is that? You know, 1 Kings chapter 11 it says, when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not perfect with the Lord, as was the heart of David, his father. Now, we just got through saying a moment ago, man, David's heart wasn't perfect. You know, there's there adultery, and there's murder, and things like that in his life. Look at that word, perfect. It's the word Salem. Like, you've heard of the town Salem, Massachusetts? It's really closely related to that word, shalom, which means peace. In other words, his heart was at peace. And that means that David's heart was not conflicting with the heart of God. His heart was beating in unison with God's heart. Well, What did that look like? And how's a a heart that's beating with God's heart, how does that work itself out in real life? Two ways, two ways, all right? I don't know if you might have seen this. This is in the news a few weeks ago. Sir Anthony Hopkins Uh, most well-known for playing Odin in the Thor movies, Uh, he uh, just recently came out and he started opening up about his past struggles with alcohol. Uh, Back in the 1970s, his acting career was really beginning to take off. But he says in his own words, I was hell-bent on destruction. He was just drinking so much. And he was in danger of losing his career. All right, And in desperation, he sought help in Alcoholics Anonymous, and he said that a woman there in Alcoholics Anonymous meeting said seven words to him in an AA meeting that changed his life, and he said, my alcoholism vanished. She said to him, why don't you trust in God? Why don't you trust in God? And so a man after God's own heart, a woman after God's own heart, has a heart, first of all, that is a trusting heart. You know, Samuel waited until the last minute, the end of those seven days, to see if Saul would push the panic button, and he did. And why did Saul panic? Because he was thinking, if I don't do something fast, this entire army is going to leave. I'm going to lose everybody. And what was he doing? He was trusting in the strength of man more than he was in the power of God. And the evidence of his lack of faith in the power of God was his impatience. His, his nervousness, his anxiety just went off the charts and his heart was in complete turmoil. David, on the other hand, when you read David, David wrote half of the Psalms, right in the middle of your Bible, a book called Psalms. He wrote half of those. And David would uh, express his complete trust in God. Psalm 23, we've all heard it so many times, but listen to this. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. All right, David had such a profound trust in God. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Have you ever thought about the fact that God has a trusting heart? God has a trusting heart. Think about the birth of Jesus, Christmas. God trusting himself to two teenagers, Mary and Joseph, as a helpless little baby. Think about Jesus and his disciples. God as a man confiding in very ordinary men and making them his friends. And then think about Jesus after his resurrection, trusting his kingdom to ordinary people like you and me. I want you to see this verse of scripture, Psalm 25, 14. This is to me amazing. It says, the Lord confides in those who fear him and he makes his covenant known to them. Look at that word, confides. Isn't it a great honor when you meet somebody, you get to know someone, and they confide in you? I mean, don't you feel honored when someone confides in you? It's like, wow, you trust me. And the Bible says here that God confides in the people who fear him, who worship him. And to think that God, in all of his glory, would confide in someone like you or like me is beyond amazing. Now, I looked up the definition for confide, by the way. It means God tells his secrets. God gives an intimate friendship. God brings you to a private place. Wow. Isn't that what relationships are all about? If both persons in a relationship are not confiding in one another, then there's really no depth to the relationship. And so David was a man with whom God would share his very heart. And you see that in the Psalms that he wrote. David was a person with whom God wanted to share everything that was packed up inside his tremendous heart. And he shared those things with David. And the beauty of this is that God is no respecter of persons. And that means that God wants to confide in you every bit as much as he did, David. That's why it's so important for you and I to pick up our Bible as often as we can and say, Lord, I know that you want to confide in me. Lord, would you please speak into my heart? Take me to that private place. And Lord, I want your heart to be in my heart. I want your thoughts to be in my thoughts. Lord, take me to that place. Lord, give us that kind of relationship. And here's the thing. If you want the Lord to confide in you, you have to confide in the Lord. Lord, here's where I'm really struggling. Lord, I'm just being brutally honest with you. This is how I feel today. And it's that that kind of a trust relationship that you begin to see your relationship with God really, really grow. Ezekiel chapter 11, I will give them singleness of heart and put a new spirit within them. And I will take away their stony, stubborn heart and give them a tender, responsive heart. All right. Hey, and Dawson, I'm going to skip this next part, okay? All right. But notice there it says, a tender, responsive heart. What does it mean to have a tender heart? You know, we had a family picnic in Paladero Canyon about 10 years ago. And uh, I have an older son. My younger son, his name's Brady. Uh, we were down there, and he was about 10 or 11 at the time. And my oldest daughter, Hannah, was probably about 8. And so we're down there, and Brady finds a big mesquite thorn. It's like two inches long. And he brings us, and he says, Dad, would it hurt somebody if you poked him with that? I said, oh, yeah, son. I said, don't even think about it. Don't even think about it. All right. Well, Hannah, Hannah loves beautiful things. And Hannah was over there. She was sniffing a flower, and Brady was standing behind her, watching her. And all of a sudden, Hannah just screams, ow! And she starts crying. And I wheel around. I was like, what? And Brady goes like this. <laughs> And I was like, Brady, did you poke Hannah with that thorn? No, dad, I did not. I did not. No, I did not. And remember that. Okay. And he's like, no, I didn't. I didn't. And I don't know what you would do as a parent. I wanted to beat him, you know, but he just kept telling me "Dad, I did not. I mean, he was a serious daddy. I, I did not. I did not. And to this day, he's 20 years, 21 years old. All right. I asked him back at Christmas. We were talking about this. I said, Brady, Did you poke Hannah? You're 21 now. You're not going to get in trouble anymore. Did you poke Hannah with that thorn that day in Palladro Canyon? No, Dad, I did not. Well, how do you explain her howling and crying and grabbing her her right cheek back there? How do you explain that? I don't know what happened. I don't know. I did not do that. I did not do that. All right. I'm just going to tell you right now, when I'm laying on my deathbed, I have one (laughs) breath left in my body. I'm going to look at my son. I say, Brady, before I go to glory, I got to know, did you poke Hannah with it? I just know he did. I just know he did. I, I just, man, it just bothered me so much. All right. But what does it mean to have a tender heart? What does it mean to have a tender heart? You know, Saul just doesn't get it. Samuel comes and he says, he says, what have you done? What have you done? And you notice Saul's first reaction is to justify what he did. You didn't come when you were supposed to. So I just took matters into my own hands. You don't see any indication of remorse or or repentance or change. His attitude basically is this. You think I sinned. I think you failed. So let's just agree to disagree. That's kind of the attitude that you see here. And there's a hardness of heart there. There's a callousness. All right. Now, in terms of failure, David was a much worse failure than Saul at this point. David failed hard. All right, and he failed many times. And another prophet came to David after he had had an affair with Bathsheba and killed her husband to try to hide the evidence. And the prophet Nathan confronted David about a much worse sin. And in the Bible says in 2 Samuel, immediately David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. The response could not be more different. One of the truly great assets in David's character was that he possessed a tenderness of heart. Tenderness of heart. David's repentance was three things that Saul's was not. It was immediate, it was humble, and it was genuine. You know, one of the truly great assets of David was that he didn't justify his actions. He didn't excuse his actions. He didn't blame anyone else. He said, it's me it's me. After the prophet Nathan left, David picked up a piece of paper and he wrote one of the most beautiful pieces of poetry in Western civilization, Psalm 51. And he said in Psalm 51, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. And you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. (laughs) David sinned badly, but then he would wholeheartedly confess and repent and return to God. And so someone who can face failure the way that David did with a tender heart is in many, many ways, a man or a woman after God's own heart. Why is that? Because God's heart is a tender heart. You say, what is a tender hearted? What is that? Hosea 11.8, God speaking through his prophet Hosea, said this about Israel. How can I surrender you, O Israel? I have had a change of heart, and all my tender compassions are aroused. A tender heart is a heart that is easily affected, a heart that's easily moved, easily changed, moved to mercy, moved to kindness, moved to affection, and moved to love, just like we read about with Ulysses Grant. And his wife, Julia, how tender was he with his wife? David had such a large love for God. And when he was confronted with his sin, that love he had for God, that affection he had for God, kicked into high gear and it moved him to change. And he said to the prophet Nathan, Nathan, you're absolutely right. I was wrong. I have sinned. Saul, on the other hand, he did not have a tender heart. How do you know? Because he was not moved to remorse and confession and repentance. And so a heart that is tender toward God is going to be moved to mercy and kindness and love. And Saul did not have that. So he did not have a heart after God's own heart. And so God's heart is a tender heart. And on our way out today, I want you to think about this. God's heart is tender toward you but is your heart tender toward God? You know, a heart that is tender toward God is a heart that's easily changed, readily moved to confess and repent. And the other thing is this, that when your heart is tender toward God, your heart will become tender toward other people. You know, if you and I, again, were to sit down over a cup of coffee and we were to get really honest and confide in one another, and I were to ask you, is there someone who's betrayed you? Is there someone who's disappointed you? Is there someone who's hurt you? And I were to ask, you know, is your heart tender toward that person? Most of us would say, and, this, and me first, by the way, no, not at all. You know, some of us have been hurt. Some of you have been hurt often, hurt badly, and in order to cope with this pain. You've developed a tough, tough exterior on your heart, because you don't want anyone else to ever hurt you ever again. And so you allow your heart to harden and to calcify. But look at this scripture: Ephesians 4:32: "Be kind or gracious to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ." forgave you. So I want you to think about this before we go today. A heart that trusts God, that's where it all begins. A heart that trusts God, a trusting heart, will inevitably become a tender heart. Those two things go together. A person with a trusting heart cannot help but be tender toward God. And when you're tender toward God, you'll be tender Toward other people. And so, ladies and gentlemen, this all begins with trusting God, living by faith in a loving God. And so, we have to ask ourselves this question in a very real and honest way Do you trust God? Do you trust God? Let's bow our heads together. We could. You know, I was thinking about this. And so while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I just want to ask you to think about one thing before we go. You know, in our Christian vernacular, we talk about asking Jesus in your heart. And what do we mean by that when we say that, asking Jesus in your heart? You know, Revelation 3.20, Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone opens the door and allows me in, I will come into him or her. And I will dine with them, have a meal, which is a sign of friendship, fellowship, companionship, relationship. And so we talk about asking Jesus in your heart. What we mean is to say, Lord, I trust you. And I want you to work in my heart so that I have a trusting heart, a tender heart, a a heart that's after your own heart. I want to be a man after your own heart. I want to be a woman after your own heart. And so, Lord, I know that begins by letting you in, asking you to be my Savior, trusting you to be my Savior and Lord, asking your forgiveness from a tender heart. And maybe here today, you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior, and you've never had that deep heart work begin. And I just want to ask you today, just in the quietness of where you are, to just pause for a minute and just say, Lord Jesus, I trust you today. I ask you to forgive me. Lord, make me not like Saul, make me like David. And Lord, I just trust you today. I trust you with all my heart and ask you to forgive my sins and give me a new heart today, Lord Jesus. And he would do that for you. So I'm going to be quiet for just a moment. So I just want to ask you, if you've never asked Jesus to be your Savior, that you would do that today. And Father, we just thank you so much that you are in this incredible venture of changing the hearts of men and women and giving us a heart that's after yours. And so we just thank you for this today. And Father, I just ask that for everybody here today, first of all, Lord, that person who's never had you in their heart, Lord, dealing with them in in the deepest ways, I just pray, Father, that today would be the day that they could trust you from a tender heart, put their faith and trust in you for their salvation. Lord, I pray for that person here today who's struggling to trust you no matter what may be going on in their life, Lord, that they might see in David, Lord, a heart of trust, and they might wanna be a man or a woman after your own heart. And Lord, I just ask that there's, someone here today who's struggling to forgive someone, to renew a relationship. I just pray, Lord, that you would just show us all here today what it means to have a tenderness of heart. And we just ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Faith Covenant Church in Borger, Texas. We are so glad you took the time to learn more about God's word with us. To get in contact with us, visit our website at www.faithborger.com.